Petey in pajamas. Okay. Hey, Jake. How's it going? Good. How are you doing, man? Not too bad. Oh, thanks for doing this. Uh, let's learn a little bit about you. So you went to, where'd you go to high school? Let's go, let's go all the way. Filer. Went to Filer High I School? I did, yeah. Oh, I don't know. We're kind of rivals right now, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we could continue at this point. No, is that when you wanted to be an EL teacher? You know, did you want that before high school? Where did? How did you get during, to that? In college. Um, in college. Yeah, I have an aunt that does Cache Valley English Language Center. She does adult ESL. Your um, aunt does. Mm-hmm. Um, she grew up with that a little bit. Yeah, so I that's actually where I did part of my like internship during college. Oh. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. So what college did you pick? Uh, I went to Idaho State. Idaho State. A CSI and then Idaho State. Okay. Um, and then you declared as a EL teacher, uh, education program? Yeah, after, there? what, a year and a half, I think. I kind of bounced around. I actually went to Idaho State um, for geology. Okay. And then I had originally, at CSI, started under education. Like geology, not like an yeah. ed program. Yeah, okay. I was in science. Okay. Um, I to study rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... Um, so then you switched over to EL. Yep. I started in education, didn't really like the program they had at CSI, and so yeah. then I switched, um, just to gen eds here, and then I went over there and was doing geology, um, and, and C- then went and back CSI to education. CSI is the College of Southern Idaho. Right? Yep. Yeah. And then Idaho State University. And um, so then did you get go right into teaching right after that bachelor's? Mm-hmm. Where'd you go? To Robert Stewart. Robert Stewart. Yeah. Middle school. Yeah. Man, that's a, a famous school around here in the Magic Valley. I guess. So here's one of the best. That's what I've heard. <laughs> um, and so now it, teaching a foreign language, and I know this because we work together, though. You you spent some time in other countries, right? Mm-hmm. And tell us, tell me a little bit about where you, your travels took you and why you went there. Uh, Argentina and Mexico. Just wanted to learn Spanish, yep. or just part of was it part of an internship or anything? I did studies abroad. Okay, so as part of your was it part of your bachelor's degree? Mm-hmm. It's separate. Separate, and and so where's the first place you went? Mexico. Mexico. What mm-hmm. part? Um, well, I just visited Mexico. Okay. And then for a substantial time, I did uh, in Argentina, Rosario. Rosario. Mm-hmm. Now, ironically, I want I didn't go through a dead program, but I spent some time in Argentina too. What did you spend your time doing in Argentina? Learning the language, I'm sure. That was probably Spanish. first and foremost, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was, just had fun. And just had fun and learning the language. That's yeah. a great ed program. Like, I wanted, I, I really would have enjoyed doing a program like that to learn I almost, the language. Actually, almost at, from, from Idaho State, almost did another program in Spain. Okay. But then, uh, you know, family came along and other, oh, yeah. other things were going on, so yeah. I couldn't do it. Having kids just slows things down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so did you take Spanish classes in college? Yeah. And, uh, and then is that kind of like what pushed you into Argentina and some of those other countries mm-hmm. and things like that? And do you feel like you knew a lot of Spanish going to Argentina? So-so. Uh, not right. enough to, like, I definitely felt like the immersion experience was by far the best thing to, to learn the language. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking, as an EL teacher, wouldn't it be so helpful to know what it's like to learn another country or mm-hmm. to be somewhere where you can't understand people? Like that moment, I remember that moment I walked, when I, I went to Argentina as well, and, and I was walking down the streets, and I didn't understand a single thing people were saying, and that was just the shock of it, you know what I mean? 
and I'm in dirt roads and in Argentina if people don't know they have some um, sewer systems that are above the streets Sangha mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm sitting there trying to figure out what this liquid is that's moving across the street and I'm completely overwhelmed and out of my element growing up in Boise Idaho you know and uh, it just it really changes your perspective as like a person like what that what that moment is I don't know if that was like that for you or if that was made an impact and and how you you know I mean it was definitely different I was in the city mostly yeah. um, and so they didn't I mean they had I guess in the outskirts they had some of that Sanka. yeah um, yeah it was it's definitely like canals in the city it was man. a culture it, it was roads. like a, it was a culture <laughs> shock for sure well and and teaching EL now now at Robert Stewart you're, you don't just do an EL can you explain a little bit about what your role is and how that works with the city and everything yeah so I uh, actually teach at two schools I teach start my morning at Canyon Ridge Mm-hmm. and then go over to Robert Stewart in the afternoon, and I do the newcomer program. It's mm-hmm. mostly with refugee students. There are some uh, Spanish speakers, which is nice, because I can talk, yeah. I can brush up on my Spanish occasionally. Um, but for the most part, I, I mean, I think we have around 30 languages in the school district, and I get to see pretty much all of them um, when they're brand new to the country. Um, so the school district works in coordination with the refugee program through CSI, um, and we have a liaison that kind of helps smooth out that whole process and helps mm-hmm. them get registered for school and get started. And then um, the newcomer program program is is really focused on that first language experience. Um, it's changed over the years. When I first started doing it, it was um, an all day program. Really, I had them for six out of eight class periods during the day, mm-hmm. and then they would go out to an elect a couple of elective classes, um, and then I would prep lots of different lessons so I would prep like many lessons in math and science yeah. um, and then of course with a major language focus and then a good portion of our day was spent depending on what the the kids need you you there's been a huge focus in literacy the last several years yeah. um, you have a kid that comes in that's slife or like um, a student with limited or interrupted formal education mm. um, so they may have gone to school or they may not have at all I've had several kids that have, have never been in a school setting before not even and in their home country not even in home country oh, wow. um, and a lot of the kids that come as refugees have spent their whole life in a refugee camp prior to coming to the United States and so their access to education is really based on wherever their refugee uh, resettlement place refugee camp was it's based on that country's education system and they're also basing that in a camp and it's probably not as good so you take it wherever these camps are you know there's a education program inside it yeah and then and sometimes there's not do they even have to go the kids have to go to those if I, they're i think the parents try to get them to go okay and when it's available and sometimes it's not available and sometimes they just don't go so working in the middle and high school, these kids have basically almost spent their whole life in a refugee camp. Mm-hmm. They get to the country. How long are they in the maybe the United States before they entered the school system with you? If it's during the school year, they we register them and they start school within 30 days of them coming to Twin Falls. Um, mm-hmm. So usually in pretty short order. Yeah. That 30 days is kind of a, they have to go to the health, different health centers and, and uh, pass physicals and yeah. get all of that stuff taken care of. And then they give them that 30 days kind of to get their feet wet. Um, 
in their house, in the community, um, and then they send them to us and we get them rolling. And, and over the years, you've probably seen a lot of students come through there. What's it like seeing a kid who's, you know, really first time in American school system, very recent within 30 days of the country? How, how are those students... In, in your classes, it's like a dedicated classroom, right? Just mm-hmm. to paint the picture. They are in their own classroom only with, you know, a very small amount of students to help them. But what, is it, what, are, those experience, what are those students experience when they're there? Um, you know, especially like at the registration, there's the, it's like a deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty, I think that's very common because um, they're still trying to figure out everything about a completely new country. Um, and they're scared but also excited. Um, And it's definitely always on a per kid basis. Some kids, they are just ready to jump right in and go. And some kids are extremely hesitant, extremely shy. Um, And so it's, it it can be tough. And, but it's, I mean, it's usually pretty fun because it's like figuring out a puzzle, what makes the kid tick and what, what you can figure out how to do to help them learn. Um, Well, and you speak Spanish. But what are like some of the most common languages that you experience? I know yeah, over the last few years, Swahili, um, Kinyarwanda, yeah. um, a lot of African languages. Yeah. Um, and you don't speak any of those fluently. Not at all. I'm sure you have a few words over the years that the kids have taught you. Just the you. bad ones. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just to recognize the bad yeah. ones. Hey, I know that one. That's yeah. not a good one. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and so you don't have any any language skills those kids don't have the same language skills that you do and you are all in a classroom together Mm -hmm. now is it common to find kids with different languages that are getting resettled around the same time and so that you have how many languages are in like your classroom at at one time um it really depends so um the last couple years it's been kind of slow on the refugee front so we've had usually between probably four to six language groups um, that means that the kids can't really even talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So there's four to six languages in the class, and they're all different ones. With ten kids in the class, or, you know. Is it about ten kids? How many, I yeah, the last couple of years, so two separate classrooms, ten to fifteen kids in each classroom. Yeah. And, yeah, usually four to six languages. So these kids, they're in your classroom for how long before they start to go into, like, the general ed classes? The way that we have it set up now, so each newcomer gets two newcomer classes, Mm -hmm. and then uh, the rest of the day, they're either in co-taught or just content classes with gen gen ed students, gen ed teachers. We try to keep them in a cohort or in a group so that they can, they have those people that they get to know in the newcomer classes. Yeah, so they have all day support. And the nice thing about Twin is we've been, it's, that program has been there for a while, and with almost all the language groups, there's someone already there that mm-hmm. is to the point where they're pretty fluent with English, and they can be a support as like well. Older kids who maybe been there a year or two. Yep. Um, so you yeah. got to pair them with the same language. Mm-hmm. But so how long are they before you send them out to like a math class with right. a gen ed teacher? How right. Long? Right off the bat. Like within um, days or. Yeah. So like the first day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, the way that the way that we do it now. So like, I start my day at Canyon Ridge, and I've got them the first two class periods. It's kind of I that was one of the I really wanted it to start. I wish I could be in two places at once and yeah. start the day with my newcomers at both places, mm-hmm. because that sets them up. You can go over scheduling. You can go over anything that they need for the day, 
Um, if there's a schedule change, that's something that is high stress and they're not going to understand unless you take some time to really make sure that they've gone over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so starting the day, I think, is a really important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but those first two classes are with me, and then we build them a schedule. We try to not do co-taught, which means there's a, uh, an e- ESL teacher mm-hmm. and a content teacher in the same classroom, and they teach together. Um, we try to try to get our newcomers so that they're in as many co-taught sections as are available. Um, the only limit on that is how many ESL teachers we have that are available to be in co-taught classes. Yeah. Um, well, and we're, I think Twin Falls is fortunate because we have their settlement area. I know there was said there's only two in Idaho. There's one in Twin Falls, Idaho, mm-hmm. and one in Boise yep. area. And so, you know, that district's kind of equipped to handle it. Yep. Um, but I think it's really important, you know, not to backtrack too much, is that some of those teachers, like a math teacher or a science teacher, they may see a kid in their class after days of being, you know, being the day. Yeah. So what's the value in having the students who don't have uh, English skills at that point going into the gen ed classes? It's still, so there's, there's a few things. When you were learning a language, you didn't learn it in isolation. And so if I stick yeah. them in a, in a classroom, in a newcomer classroom, and that's their whole day, and they, they get their language from me, but then they only have one source of native English through their whole day. Mm -hmm. If you put them into their content classes, given, unless they have a little bit of a base, it it isn't necessarily gonna give them the content right away, but it's gonna give them the the access to the language, listening, speaking. Mm -hmm. They're gonna get way more practice that way and uh, in the native language, in in the new language, um, than if they were just in a room with me, with me teaching each subject. Mm-hmm. Um, even even when I did it that way, I would try to pull other students in from wherever I could g- grab them, um, grab them and put them in the class, and try to borrow them for the day or whatever, so that they we could we could build in activities where they're speaking with a native language speaker that wasn't just me, mm-hmm. because it. I mean, it's great for me to have them, and I I enjoyed having them for the most of the day. But I think having more sources of English is better than just having one. And having done both, where you keep them all day and then push out into the gen ed classrooms, which, which do you see faster English development? The push in. So I think having them out and, and in with the gen ed uh, population as much as possible mm-hmm. um, is, yeah, definitely which, better. Which is interesting because your science teacher who has no language ELL experience or, you know, may not understand that that's why they're there is to mm-hmm. really learn English. And it's, it's crazy to see the growth. And so what is, what would a gen ed teacher see as success if they had a, a student who's learning English, who they can't really communicate with? And, and obviously the content's going over the head because they're barely getting any of the information. Mm-hmm. What does success look like? What does a teacher, how does a teacher know that they're actually helping that student? So, it, I mean, it, again, it's that per kid basis, yeah. but depends on what they've got coming in and what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. If you have a kid that has just nothing, um, then I would coordinate with those teachers. I always try to send out emails and talk to the teachers that I'm going to use with my newcomers. Um, so, like, I've already been working on scheduling for this coming year. Um, and I have it set up so I know exactly which teachers I'm going to use um, at each school, and that way I can communicate with them and kind of set up some goals for each student. Mm-hmm. Um, as I get to know my new students, then it'll make it easier because I'm going to know where they're at, yeah. and then I can give them, say, 
okay, well, this is what we are working on as far as like with the newcomers. And then they can work on something similar depending on the level or if they're getting to the point where they're accessing the content more uh, fluidly, then they can start whether it be basic vocabulary or something more advanced than that. Mm -hmm. um, we can kind of talk that over and then prep those things for them so that they're being able to have those uh, check-in points. So it's really good for the gen ed teachers when there's an ELL instructor in the building to really collaborate with them mm -hmm. to say, well, what is, what is, how do I read the the, the ILP, right? ELP. ELP, yep. English Language Plan, right? Yep. Is that what it's called? Or? Yep. Okay. I didn't use that acronym. Uh, and so to work with them and how to, to, to kind of fulfill that. It's like an IEP, mm -hmm. right? It's Similar. just... Uh, but it's kind of the same way. It's kind of like it has a lot of weight and teachers are required to fulfill it. Like yes. we are an IEP. Sometimes we ELP, right? Yep. English ELP. Language. Is it English language plan? Okay. Educational learning plan. Educational learning plan. I'm like, oh, correct me because it didn't seem right. I'm like, it wasn't rolling off the tongue. <laughs> um, so what if, um, what if the teacher doesn't have an EL in the building? What if they're struggling with a, a, a language learner and there's no... There's not an English ELL teacher in the whole building or district. What what are some things that that teacher can do to maybe start to engage that student? Uh, Google is your friend. Pinterest. Um, what do you mean by Google? What would they be Google? Just Google search. What are some uh, techniques that I can use to reach a beginning English learner? Um, we're a WIDA state, and so you have the WIDA can-dos, and they also have... Uh, so the can-dos give you basic things that they should be able to do, and it's leveled by beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, in most states, I know Idaho, we, regardless if you have an ELL instructor, you weed a test all your students who yep. are learning language, and then, um, and then you can look at the can-dos and say, this is what Johnny or whoever in my classroom can actually perform. That's kind of a good guide mm -hmm. to help them. I'm sure other states have different programs, but something very, very similar. Going back to the ELP, the I mean that we have to prepare for each student, right? Mm -hmm. So it get it, there's a section that gives you their um, base, what they already know how to do, and it's it's filled out in those WIDA can dos, and then it also has a section for goals in mm -hmm. the WIDA can do. So it's, it it shows you what they can do now, or about what they can do now, and then things that they should be working towards by the end of the school year, and so you can you can base your teaching off of those can dos. Um, and it, I mean, it, it kind of works like a little bit of a, a roadmap for that student. Yeah. Um, and just getting to know the kid, like, and that, I mean, that sounds easier just saying it that way than what it in actuality means. is. <laughs> um, and maybe I'm, I have an advantage of, I can use other students that speak the language. Um, as you go through, like, I mean, when you're teaching a newcomer curriculum, you're going to start with the basics, talking about themselves, asking, um, can I go to the bathroom, all those survival, like, these are the things you have to know to get yeah. through the day at school. Yeah. And those are the first things that we cover. And so those, the students learn to talk about themselves first. Mm -hmm. um, and more often than not, they've had a crash course, whether that means like the four-hour refugee resettlement crash course on English. And that, but mo more often than not, they at least know how to say, my name is, I am from, mm -hmm. you know, the basic stuff. But those are the first things that they cover. And so it doesn't take very long before they can kind of fend for themselves at least a little bit. Um, and if they can't 
the students are really good about like finding someone that can help them advocate for themselves. Yeah. So fighting that either adult or, or other peer who could help them. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I remember when I worked at a school with a, with the refugee center, there was a student who was um, had some PTSD because when they left their country, there were bombs going off and they were running from house to house while they were getting bombed. Mm-hmm. And so things like the fire alarm were a really sensitive uh, subject. How... How can teachers learn more about maybe some of those needs that students have? Uh, maybe they don't know all the past trauma, mm-hmm. but you know how how important is that aspect of working with some of our ELL learners? That's trauma is always a big buzzword for sure, and it's very important. One of the one of the reasons that we have the newcomer program is so that we have a, a safe place for the kids and they can come back to my classroom whether either I'm there or we have like a para that will be somewhere available or they have we set it up depending on the student once we know that they have that trauma if they need a safe place then we'll communicate with counselors and and the student whether we use a uh, an interpreter or whether they have enough communication that we can just set it up with them but they we usually try to set up two or three safe places for the student right mm-hmm. off the bat um, and they're almost always going to try to come back to the newcomer classroom um, because it's the first faces they get to know. It's the first teachers and support staff that they get to know. Once you get a a student, get a a kid to the point where they have a few more adult faces that they're comfortable with and they know Mm -hmm. that they can be safe with, then they usually will find one of those people or find a way to get to one of those people to be able to deal with whatever issues they have. The fire alarm thing, definitely, that's right off the bat. And whenever you get a new student, that's one of the, you have to cover it. Covering um, fire alarms. Hey, we do this every month. You have month, to talk about yeah, fire alarms. Yeah. Um, I had a couple, I had, I had at one point when we were doing the full day program, um, I had a huge class. I had 32 students, which is it's really crazy in a newcomer setting. Um, and I got a new family. Um, they were just wonderful, mm-hmm. um, but very loud, very verbose. <laughs> Not in English. Um, sometimes in English. Yeah. But um, And I hadn't gone over the whole fire alarm thing. They were from Iraq. Um, I think it was their second day in school. And I had three siblings. There was a brother and two older sisters. And the fire alarm inevitably went off, I think, their second day in school. And the two girls screamed bloody murder and dove under their desk, oh, no. thinking that it was a, an air raid or, you know, yeah. a bomb. Yeah. Um, and the brother bolted to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> and so they all went different directions screaming oh, no. very loudly. Um, and so then it was, you know, like uh, really you try to uh, control the chaos as much as you can yeah. and get everybody lined up and get, you know, do the regular routine, but definitely could have been avoided had I gone over the fire alarm mm-hmm. the day they got there. Um, yeah. That was... Oh, man. It, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy to think about some of the things these kids go through at such mm-hmm. a young age. You know, when I was, these are happening to kids when they're seven, eight, nine, ten, and they're running and then they're out of camp for yep. years. And it's like, it's hard to wrap our brains around it. And then when we see them, and I think some of our gen ed teachers may get frustrated because they're like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this student? Well, if you only knew the journey it took them to get to that classroom they're in, and then maybe we would we would think about that part of it, you know? Because that's, 
it's building relationships is understanding a person and really understanding their past is part of it. Yeah. And that's what we now that we can't neglect it. Have you seen the videos about Hamish Brewer on YouTube? The tattooed skateboarding principal has a fresh take on building school climate and will inspire you to be an authentic leader. Check out my book study, Relentless, and learn real strategies you can add to your classroom or school today. Go to cpd.nnu.edu, select courses, then select two credit book studies and click Relentless. It's really difficult when you're in a rural school to have a dedicated EL EO person. You know, yeah. it's super hard to do. So what about those environments? How can we help teachers be more successful in that? If they're, they're sitting there, you know, maybe someone listening has a student who's a, a learning English and they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if worse comes to worse, you start from the basics. Like if they're whether they're learning literacy or learning a language, you they may not be able to access the full content right off the bat. Yeah. They won't, um, unless you can translate it all. Unless you have somebody that speaks that language. Unless you can teach them that language, which we don't. Especially if you if you don't have the kind of budget, et cetera, to be yeah. able to have an EL person in in your district, you're definitely not going to be lucky enough to have that probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Start with basics, whether that means um, make a basic vocabulary list, have them translate it, provide them with Google Translate, provide them with Oxford Picture Dictionary. Um, there's tons of different little programs that are pretty easy, but start from the basics. Start from the things that you learn. Well, especially when... with the, the new technology stuff. Do you mm-hmm. think, it's, have you used this in the past, having kids on like Google Translate and having them just kind of have that with them? Has that been helpful? Yeah, yeah. I So... It depends on what type of vocabulary we're doing, but um, I love to use Realia, but I also have the luxury of that's what I'm What's there that to called? do. Realia? Realia. So like, um, if software? I'm, no, real real things, right? So like if I'm teaching about fish, then I bring a fish. Or if oh. I'm teaching about camping, I set up camp. Um, okay. That kind of thing. Um, again, in a content class, it's not always available, no. but there are certain contents that really lend themselves to that kind of vocabulary. Science is uh, definitely yeah. one of them. Yeah. Um, you're already doing it, more than likely. Um, now, you probably need to reiterate it more often with an EL kid, um, but then give them access to some kind of a device, and Google Translate is a wonderful it's getting better. It is. It, and I remember not too long ago, I had to call a parent in, and I think it was Swahili, mm-hmm. and I typed the thing in, and I called it on. I said, hey, I need to meet with you to talk about your child, and I wasn't able to get a hold of a translator, um, but it was a little time sensitive, and so I put the phone up to Google Translate and hit play, and they and understood and came in. Yeah. And so the technology really is getting better, and I think it would benefit even some of our you know, more rural districts to use that technology to help communicate with kids, maybe yeah. a little more. And parents, too. And parents, especially. Yeah. What about what about parents? Like, how do you engage parents? Or, or is that even, is it meaningful? Is it necessary? Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. So um, I try to send letters home. We always have, like, the Translate Me border. When it's available, I um, will go through an interpreter. We have our own district interpreters. And yeah. so if I have an issue that comes up, I'll call the interpreter, and then we'll call the family, or we'll yeah. have them come in, or I'll go and do a home visit. Um, we also, like I said, we have the refugee liaison. Her name is Lodi. 
Um, and that lady moves mountains yeah. to make sure that those kids are taken care of and their families are taken care of. And so whenever there's a concern or an issue that comes up, um, Lodi's probably one of the first people that I call mm-hmm. because she will figure out an interpreter. She will, like I said, do anything that needs to happen to get yeah. them to the school or make it so that we can communicate with them mm-hmm. so that everything is good and clear and so that they can you know, figure out and learn whatever they need to learn. And, and our, most parents, are they'll come in and chat with you with an yeah. interpreter and things yeah. like that. But without accommodating their language needs, do you feel like they respond much to the school? Because I think in some, in some districts, in some areas, it's a stretch to even get something translated into like Spanish or mm-hmm. let alone some of these other languages and get out to parents. Even just the act of trying to make that communication shows that you're willing to go out there for their kid. Mm -hmm. And I think they will respond to that. Mm -hmm. I think they quite often, they may not understand what you're saying, what you're doing, but they know that a teacher came from the school to talk to them about their, or called from the school to talk to them about their kid. And then, I mean, the ball is a little bit in their court to figure out communication if you can't figure it out on your end. Now, can that be an expectation? No, but it at least shows that you're trying to reach out and it mm-hmm. gives that shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you talk about the kids have been in these refugee camps for years, so that the parents mm-hmm. and the school systems in a refugee camp probably don't have parent-teacher conferences and things like that, I can imagine. I have no idea. <laughs> I, don't, I, I guess I can't really think, but they probably don't, or depending on what other country they're based off of, so to be, Engaged as a parent in the school system takes some adult teaching as well and trying yep. to give and kind of mentorship and it starts with just reaching out in some way even if it's an email that you threw into Google Translate roughly and sent it off to the parents I think that's that's a good starting point yep. for a lot and it's anyone can do it any, yeah, any teacher can do it just takes copy and paste your email and sometimes you're just knocking on wood hoping that it's really good oh, and sometimes it is I think and it's sometimes good. not. Yeah, but it's better something than nothing. Yeah, always better than like neglecting them altogether or not yep. including them in the conversation. Because I think those parents want to be engaged in their kids' education, and it really does help them. Let's say you're having a behavior issue in class. That's okay to bring in a parent with a translator, or do your very best with Google Translate and try to have that meeting. You know? Yeah. Last question for you. Uh, do you have advice, do you have counsel for all our uh, gen ed teachers and, and people all over the state, how they can best help and engage uh, our ELL population in, in learning? Do you have any final wisdom you'd like to share with, with us and our community? Um, just try it. Now, you're, never gonna be, you're not going to be perfect at it, but try. If you don't try, you're never going to make a difference. So... I mean, everybody has their routine and what they teach. And even if you're just doing that, the kids will get something from you at some point. Mm-hmm. They're, you're planting seeds, bare minimum. But if you see something or you want to, you, you say, oh, I see this kid, I need to do something to help him, you can ask somebody, Google it, cruise Pinterest, um, use Duolingo, use Google Translate, but try. Don't just let that kid flounder. Um, yeah. yeah, that's great advice. Don't ignore them. Do something. Just yeah. try. And build a rapport. Probably the single biggest thing that you can do with an EL kid, and especially one that's brand new to the country, is just take two minutes out of your day once a week and have it be just that kid. 
talk to them, ask them a question. They may or may not be able to answer, but it shows them that you care about them and they'll do more for you if they know that than just about anything. Yeah, I think it's, I, I appreciate it sitting down because I think it's so important we don't ignore this population in our schools and, and thanks for your advice, Jake. Mm-hmm. All right, see you later. Yep, see ya. Pajamas